Who is art for? Is it for the artists, the audience, or someone else? We discuss this and more on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, recovering root beer addict. And with me, as always, is my gratingly gorgeous co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, uh, uh, filmmaker, and uh, I'm trying not to use the same one. I think this tiny <laughs> podcast for me to have something interesting about think myself. of it beforehand. <laughs> I was pretty... Plan. <laughs> no, no. That takes all the authenticity out. <laughs> I was pretty good at pogo stick when I was like 13 years old. Okay. All yeah. Right. That's yeah. something. There you and go. And also, I just noticed that you have been a root beer enthusiast, and now you are a root beer recovering addict. So you see, you show my progression as a yes, character. Something has gone on between the few yes, episodes. Exactly. Yes. All right. Well, today, we are asking the question... Who is art for? There's a famous Jordan Peele quote that says, Write your favorite movie that you haven't seen. Don't worry about whether it's going to get made. Write something for yourself. In many places in the arts, it is simply taken as gospel that art is for the artist and his or her self-expression and self-actualization. However, many others, particularly movie-going audiences or those in the popular entertainment, maintain that art exists for the audience. Director Jeff Fowler redesigned the look for Sonic in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie because he was making the movie for the fans, and that's what the fans wanted. The internet is only getting the audiences more power to dictate content in movies. Warner Brothers is now giving Zack Snyder at least $30 million to finish the Snyder Cut of Justice League because of three years of fans demanding it online and even on a Times Square billboard. This is worrying some other filmmakers, like Ryan Johnson, who thinks that trying to please your audience leads to worse stories. So, Nathan, who do you think art is for? The artist, the audience, or someone else? And how do you balance your desire for artistic self-expression with your desperate need for praise from the masses in order to quiet the yawning doubt that your life doesn't matter and that you don't deserve love or respect? Asking for a friend. <laughs> well, I'm going to answer each, one, each part of that question. Maybe the last first. Um... Uh, I am an actor because I have incredible self-doubt and just need adoration from the <laughs> yes, masses. Exactly, yes. That's the only way I feel that I matter in this world. I need more <laughs> yeah. praise. And so if you hear this, just go give something on my Instagram a like so I can get some hit <laughs> exactly, of what, yeah. I, what these actors need. Um, yep. Actors are an unusual breed um, who would probably fall under the making the art for the audience very often because right. they have that need to be liked, to be wanted, and to have their work praised. And very often people who make work um, for the audience, um, if it's not praised by critics, it is loved. And I and I, I think there is something to that, you know, this this whole conversation kind of started because you posted the quote yes. by Jordan Peele a while ago, and I took issue with it. Yes, it's and, true. And the quote, just a quick refresher, is basically Jordan Peele, um, the the director and creator of movies like Get Out, um, and he essentially was saying this quote that artists should not worry about audience. They shouldn't worry about if um, someone else will like it. They should only make what they like. And that sounds like a great sentiment on the top, right? It sounds like, oh, we're removing the pressure of, you know, trying to perform sure. for other people. And I understand the sentiment of the quote, so I'm not going to attack that. I do understand what he's trying to say. At least I think he, at least I think I do. Right. But I take issue with that artists shouldn't create for someone else. Right. 
And I think if you are creating something and it's not for someone else, then it is inherently selfish. Right. And I think beyond that, uh, selfishness and especially selfish art is usually self-indulgent. It goes with the territory. Right. And very often bad. Um, And so I've seen many artists do this where they go down this path of, I'm not going to care what anyone wants. I'm not going to care what anyone thinks. I'm going to make this really weird, weird film. I won't connect (laughs) with anyone. I'm going to do a lot of weird stuff in it. And guess what? uh, This is what I should make. And they, funnily enough, they usually expect praise for (laughs) that. Not not necessarily even for the movie they made, but for the attitude they made the movie with. But I think something about art um, that I really love is that it is a communal Thing. It's right. something that we use to connect with each other. You know, right. music around the world is used as this communal, unifying thing. In church, we sing hymns together. It's right. something that we connect to together. So I think if you are an artist, I'd say you are deluded or probably just a bad artist if you are not, at least at somewhere in your artistic process, making art for someone else, for to connect to another group or another person. And even if that person um, is, is someone is you, um, I, a lot of times when I see someone who makes selfish art, they're not even making it for anyone, not even themselves. They're not addressing the real humanity inside right. themselves. So I'd say art to be good inherently has to be made for someone else. Of course, it comes with pitfalls and warnings with that. But I, I'd say, I'm sorry, art must be made for uh, outside of selfish gains, must be made for other people. Yeah, there's there's a great line in um, the movie Tootsie where Bill Murray's character says, it's my dream to make a play that only six people ever see, but all the critics love. <laughs> <laughs> but that's funny, but it's true. <laughs> yes. It's literally how stuff goes. No, I think, I think you and I probably um, knew like the same cadre of art students <laughs> growing up yeah. because we have the same sort of attitude and axe to grind against a certain yes. type of, of artistic de- demeanor and temperament. Um, I was telling you about this the other day while we were discussing doing this podcast that the first time I ever felt unloved while watching a movie was watching a Paul Thomas Anderson's film, The Master. Interesting. Now, fun fact. Yes. <laughs> Just to insert because <laughs> I need this praise. I actually had a role in Paul Thomas Anderson's film, The Master. It was cut from the final cut, so don't go looking for me. And you can call me a liar. I was there. I promise it happened. Um, but he was very kind, and it was really cool to dress up in those old-timey clothes. Um, but that's interesting. Why the sidebar so I can, right. you know, tout myself. And yes, myself of course, of course, yes, of course. Yes. I knew I, I, this was baked happen. into the cake. I you knew you were going to say. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no. But I, you know, and this was just my subjective experience. I know that, you know, lots of people like Paul Thomas Anderson as a director and like the master in particular. Hmm. But I've never I, seen it, actually. <laughs> I refuse. It's not, I'm not in it. Yeah. I don't care. Pretty much. <laughs> yes. Art is for me. Exactly, yes. But I remember watching it and realizing that it seemed like the filmmaker, you know, filmmakers didn't care if I understood it, Hmm. didn't care if I enjoyed it, didn't care if I responded at all to what was going on, that it was being made for their own thing and that they didn't really care if I was involved in it. Hmm. And I started, and as I would watch more independent films, more art house films, I got this, feeling of you know being in a room with someone who just wanted to talk and someone to listen and didn't care that I was in the room to and didn't care about me while I was in the room with them <clears throat> I think that's one of the things is that you know anytime you have a relate you know, you said this at the beginning 
artists need audiences, mm. you know, and every, almost everybody who is an artist makes something for audiences to some degree. There's a great um, Sherman Alexie, the famous uh, American Indian author. By the way, I call him American Indian because he doesn't like the term Native American, so don't at me. <laughs> uh, but um, he wrote a short story called, um, oh, what was it? Uh, what it means to say Phoenix, Arizona. Mm. And he, um, and in there he has this character who is a storyteller who nobody wants to hear his stories. So all he does is he wanders about the town just telling stories to himself. And you're supposed to see the tragedy of a storyteller who has no one to tell his stories to. And so we, we know that. Like every artist wants to have an audience. But the thing is, if you want to have an audience and you need the audience, but you're not loving the audience or paying attention to them, you're doing whatever anybody does when you have a relationship with somebody, but you're not loving them, you're using them. That's really interesting that you say that. I have, I have two thoughts that yes. sparked in my head. One, um, uh, the man you mentioned who, who had a story about the man who walked around telling stories that no one's yes. interested in hearing, just himself. Interestingly enough, that seemed like the reverse of, and I hate to be the, the Christian guy, <laughs> the, the reverse of Jesus when Jesus came to artistry and storytelling. Right. He told stories. Jesus was a storyteller, and he was an artist in this aspect that he used stories to capture the imaginations of the people who were listening to him. Right. But he tailored these stories yeah. to them. In fact, every single person he talks to, he tells a unique story that is tailored to their experience. Right. So they, they can understand truth or discover something about God or themselves. Right. And so you see Jesus, God of everything, tailoring his art to people for a purpose of connection and understanding. Right. And so it's interesting to see the, that dichotomy. But also I want to touch on that the artist and the audience relationship is somewhat like, you can liken it to relationships. Right. You can like, even a romantic relationship. I've been a long-term committed relationship. And if I only do things for myself, if I only say things for myself, what pleases me, that does not a good marriage make. Right. What a good marriage makes, is made of, is when people seek to, outside of themselves, do things, say things that connect to the other person, whether that's inspiration or kindness or comfort, whatever it is, you are acting outside of yourself so as to affect another person. And that is what makes a good relationship. So if an artist is making something, presumably he wants it to be seen, um, which is interesting, but it's totally selfish. And it seems like a weird thing where he has no audience for the art he has made except himself. Right. And that's the thing is that what we get... What what gets us into trouble is we think of art history or being an artist as sometimes outside the realm of normal human relationships. Yes. Because in anything, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendship, whether it's politics, whether it's work, love is the most important thing. Yes. And so, and to love, and not only to love, but to love others. Yes. And so if you're not doing your art in some way to love others and to think about mm. others, you're not doing the highest form of anything, let alone art. Someone put that on a quote meme yes, and yeah. spread it around the internet because that is wisdom. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> no, actually, scratch that. <laughs> oh, gosh darn it. My big head got in the way of internet fame. Um, no, and, and I think I think what, what's what's gone around a lot of times, though, is for, for artists, what they the, the, the mode that people have got into as artists is that art, at its highest expression of art, is group therapy. Mm. Where it, where group therapy is, you express yourself to work out your issues, and other people are there to listen to you because that's a helpful thing for you. Yes, I mean, I, I will, I can attest to yeah. art being a group. The hardest times of my life, in my life, the thing that usually salves my soul, my right. heart, 
I mean, not the only thing, but very often it's the movies that I watched in that time that right. gave me hope. It's the songs I listened to that let me know someone else has felt the way I felt before. So the, the group therapy is really interesting. Yes. The thing is, what the thing about group therapy is that group therapy exists to help broken people get better. Mm. And once you are better, and of course nobody is ever completely better in this life because, you know, everybody's broken. Process. Yes. But the reason for therapy and the reason for hospitals, the reasons for, you know, treating sick is for people to get healthy and to go on to do other things like loving others and being loved. Mm. So I think that there is a place for art as being group therapy for the artist. But I think the thing is, the idea is it's supposed to be a process by which you then are moving towards art that's for others. Even if some art you make has to be for yourself in order to get you to that place. And I think it's, I think that people could mis, yep. m- misdo mm-hmm. this in a way in which they think all they have to do is make something nice and soft no. yep. or capitulate to some market right. group. And that they have to somehow form this vision around some market so it can sell. And I right. do understand the pressures, having made films and written <laughs> yes, books myself, yeah. I understand the pressure of me wanting to create this beautiful uh, film that I have in my mind, drama or whatever it might be, about real humanity and life and brokenness and finding God in the midst of it, and then either uh, having someone else tell me this, whether a distributor or producer right. or a friend, or me telling myself this, that, well, is it palpable for you know right. for is it family friendly is it is it for moms and right I, and and then i go oh shoot how how do i do this do i do i make the piece of art that i really want to or do i make the piece of art that apparently the audience wants and i think now this is just a case yeah. of which audience because sure. I, yes. I think really even if you say you're making a piece of art for yourself you're not you're just making yeah. it for a different audience like a right. lot of people who say i don't make art for audiences like the avengers <laughs> or jurassic yes. park or star wars i make it for no audience and what they're really saying is i make it for the audience and critics right so the yes. elite will like what i do so i think right. ultimately everyone is making art for an audience right we just are more we, we just have to become aware of what audience we're making it for and what our message is so we can connect with that audience well that's the thing is is that oftentimes when people hear say you're making it for the audience what they think we mean is be inauthentic because yes. that's or what the audience wants or make bad that art people dislike. the thing is even like again we could go back to real relationships like you know, your marriage would not work if you pretended to be someone you weren't in that marriage. In fact, I couldn't pretend to be someone <laughs> yeah. I wasn't, and or else I would not be married. Exactly. And so the thing is, like, you you were thinking about loving the other person, but you're loving the other person as your real self, yes. as your authentic self. Great point. And so it's like, yes, if, if you are an artist, you have to be authentic to yourself as your art. You have to be true to your own voice. But you'd be true to your own voice considering and loving the other person yes who has chosen to love you specifically exactly if an audience chooses to love your work specifically right don't don't flip them the bird no uh, because you want to make art for yourself in fact them being there is this is a weird but it's kind of like a marriage yeah they have committed to loving the things you create and want to engage with them why don't you make things that engage with the people who you who you are obviously connects with? Right. Now, it's, I think that it gets into an interesting thing about, because you were talking about marketing and things and mediums. And one thing I think is very interesting, particular about film, um, that's different than some others, is that it requires a lot of money to do any of it. Yes. Which means you have another thing, which is that you have to ask the question, you know, the only reason you get to make this film is somebody who gave you money for it. And so therefore, it's not just for the audience. It's not just for you. It's also for the person who gave you money. Interesting. Because 
you know, again, because you're otherwise beholden you're, to them. you're beholden to them. Well, it's like, it, otherwise, if you, somebody's giving, if you, if somebody gives for you and you just take and you don't give anything back, that's called being a parasite. Yes. <laughs> that's called being a... Welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> exactly, yes. Um, now, if you trick them, it's just good business. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but the, but that's like, it's like, okay, so, but no, the, the thing is, they gave it to you for a specific purpose. And so therefore, you're doing it for them also. And also, and then this is something that's really thought about as a director. One of the things that I thought about a lot is that so you're doing it f so for them. I mean, that's why, like, again, like Sonic the Hedgehog, like, you know, you, you make it say, okay, it is for the fans because we're making this movie based on a property that they care about. So it is for them. We're making it because they like it, you know, but if it's, you know, if you're, if you're just making a, if you're just have a guitar and you're just singing, like, okay, you can make that for one other person because yes. you're not asking anything you can tailor it else. to their specific needs right yeah. it, but because you're not asking or demanding something of them to do your personal art but for movies there is a certain degree unless like again like you're david fincher or someone like that who or you know or steven soderbergh who's made a bajillion dollars already and could just blow his own money on something you know you're you're asking something of someone else and so you need to give something back but and also as sort of a filmmaker i think about this you know, because you're doing a collaborative enterprise for other people, you know, I'm not, I can't just make this for myself and the audience or the people who give me money. I also have to make this for the actors who are in mm. it, for the cinematographer, for the editor, you know, because they're there because they want to make beautiful films too. Yes. So I always think about, okay, if I'm writing a script, am I making it with great moments and roles for actors who want to act? You know, because, because, you know, because otherwise, because I have relationships with these people and if I'm not loving them, then in some way I'm using them. Well, and there's, there's an interesting thing that I, I, I realize when I think about the people who tell me that I don't make art for anybody, I make it for myself. Sure. And it's usually one of two people. Okay, and they okay. exist tell on this. the yeah. very opposite see if it's the, the same. See if it's yeah. the same people. It's the people who have either never made anything <laughs> yes. or anything successful at the very least. Yes. Or the people who have for so long tried to serve so many different audiences. Right. Or incredibly wide audiences, mm. they are tired of trying to please everyone right. and make something that will be quote unquote marketable. Yeah. So they finally say, you know what? Enough of this. I'm going to make what I want to make. And so you sure. have. So I think it's interesting to see that. In in you can take issue with my um my analysis of this, but I, to me it's interesting to see that both these people exist on the extremes of the spectrum. Right. And anywhere where you're acting out of the extremes is usually unhealthy. Sure. Which is yeah, I think part of the issue with people. Um, wanting to make art for quote unquote only themselves. I think it's a very, very interesting thing because a, one of those is someone who doesn't have relationships with yes. people, and another is somebody who is disillusioned by relationships with people. Interesting, just like real relationships. Exactly, and that's the thing is that you know you have people who you know a lot of times the people who say I'm going to do stuff. I'm going to just be who I am and not care what other people think are people who've been very disappointed by the fact that they have tried to please people and the people couldn't be pleased. Yes. And I or think, people who don't want to even begin to try that. Process. Exactly. Or people who don't even want to begin. And I think that that's, you know, I think there's something to that. Oftentimes, you know, Tim Keller's talked about sort of the difference between sort of, you know, contractual relationships and covenantal relationships. Mm. And if, and if that you can, if one person is in a contractual relationship with the other person who's actually in a covenantal relationship with them, that's an abusive relationship. Interesting. And because um, one person says, I will never leave you. And the other person says, I can leave you anytime I want. Um, and the thing is, if people have been in an abusive relationship, it's actually more healthy for them to be in a relationship with somebody else that's purely contractual. Because that's at least healthier than being in an abusive relationship. Interesting. However, 
the best of all is a covenantal relationship. And so I just would say, we'd say like, if you've been people pleasing your whole life, you know, in your art, mm. then probably the healthiest thing for you to do is to do art that just pleases yourself for a little bit. Don't like ask people for $4 billion to make it, yeah. you know, but <laughs> make art that just pleases yourself for a little bit, because that's how you actually learn maybe to be, find your own voice. But the mm. process is always still, that's a transition point to be able to learn to love other people authentically. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but it is interesting when you talk about the covenantal and contractual relationships. Yes. Unfortunately, the artist and the audience is an mm. imbalance yes. of power. Yeah. Because, and, and the audience doesn't realize this, yeah. but the, the artist has to basically love the audience unconditionally. Yes. <laughs> and the audience doesn't have to. They can Ooh. walk away at any point. Ooh. So this is a codependent, unhealthy relationship between the artist and the audience. So how do you reconcile that? Do you do whatever you want? No. Or do you just capitulate to their every demand? No. No. No, I think, I think it's an interesting thing. I think you have to find the place. I mean, this is, I think you have to find the place where you, you know, uh, you, you, you care, but not too much. And it's mm -hmm. a, one of the things you care with as, as every good marriage counselor I've ever talked to says with boundaries. Yeah. And I think I will do this. I won't do this. I will love you and give this to you, but I cannot do this for you. Right. And the thing is, you know, to a certain degree, it goes back to, you know, what we were joking about at the beginning is that as an artist, you cannot care so much about being successful and about people loving your work that you, that, that you burn yourself that way. Yes. That you're in an abusive relationship with the audience. But you also can't forget that there are people who are going to be watching this. Yes. And that you have an opportunity through your art to affect them. Right. To connect with them. Because that, and, and I want to bring this kind of full circle. Please. And get back to, not back to, but answer the question in the short time we have left. Who is art for? Mm. Who, who is art for? Why do we have art? Because the people who make art for just themselves... I would I would say it's probably just a nihilistic abstract thing that they just enjoy doing. It's, it's for their right. own pleasure. And then the people who make art for other people would say it's a selfless act of connection and love, like you mentioned yeah. earlier, towards someone else so that they can better themselves, understand, or at least just have some joy. Um, and I want to know who art's for. And, and saying that last bit, it strikes me that comedies comedies mm. are almost always for the viewer yep. because they're trying to tell jokes. They're trying to make things, make the audience laugh and have a lighter, more fun, uh, uh, joyful time. So it's stand-up comedy, even as purest yes. form. Yes, it can't be just for the person up there talking. No, yeah. That's called monologue. <laughs> yes, and exactly. not everybody enjoys that. People do enjoy being told jokes that connect to their experience. Right. So who, who and what is art for? I think, well, there's a... I, there's a couple of answers to this. Ultimately, it is for it is for something for the artist and the audience to share. Mm. It is an experience for them to share together. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. Also, I will say, art is for God mm. because again, relationship. Exactly, and that's just and it was, well, it's just a different audience. Instead, it's yeah. a transcendent audience. I think mm. there is a transcendent audience because God created human beings to worship him and to enjoy the creation that he made. And part yes. of enjoying the creation he made and worshiping him is making stuff out of the world he has made in a way that praises what is beautiful and explores the world that he's made. And I think that if we do, and as according to it sounds, if we do that truthfully um, for to ourselves and to his world that he's made, we at least please God. Yes. And do it with excellence. We at least please God. 
And, you know, again, if you're asking something of other people in order to make that, then obviously you should give something back to them. But I think that ultimately, yeah, you can make art that is just for God. But he also does intend for us to make art that sh we share with him and, his, and us and others. And ultimately, I found that any art that is made with the audience of one, quote unquote, usually, actually almost exclusively, is the art that very often connects with everyone. Right. Because the things of God, since we are crafted in God's image, the things of God are built inside of us to right. respond to. So if we're making something for God, it's going to include love. It's going to include beauty, right. all of which, all, all are things that we as humans naturally intrinsically connect to. And I guess to answer that question as well, um, I think over who, what is, what is art for and who is it made for? Again, I, like you, would go back to the original artist, as we would say, which would be God. And earlier I mentioned how Jesus, he was an artist. He was a storyteller. He crafted yeah. stories and characters. I mean, essentially he was a screenwriter. Yes, um, yep. If he was if he was here today, I, I have very little doubt he would be in Hollywood making movies, to yeah. be completely honest. Yeah. Um, and, but the movies that Jesus would make, and <laughs> dangerous territory. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> but the stories that Jesus told, they connected to people. They gave them vision. They hope they were for the people who were listening. Yeah. That didn't stop him from doing it in a beautiful and human and good way. Yeah. A way that he enjoyed and wanted to take part in. Just like back to the, uh, the beginning of the universe, God created things out of his love. We see this all through scripture that yeah. he created nature and the stars and the oceans and the mountains because he loved and it was beautiful. But he also created them knowing that we would be the ones who were hiking them, who, yeah, were, who yeah. were voyaging across them, who were gazing at them. He created them so that we could wonder at them and ultimately we could wonder at him. Yeah. And so I do think ultimately art, no, you do not need to make what the market tells you, what the dollar right. tells you. But I do think when you approach that canvas, be that your computer writing a screenplay or a book, or be that a movie that you're pointing the camera at, I think the art must be for the people who are going to watch it. Otherwise, it is selfish, and it is inane, yeah. and it is pointless. And we, as people of faith, do not believe in selfish, inane, pointless things. We believe yeah. that whatever we do, not, not in a, a, a moralistic way, but it ought to be beautiful and be good and be something that other people can connect to. Okay. So when I sit down and write my next screenplay... It's not that I want to just please everybody out there and write something that everyone will like, no matter what. It's <laughs> that I want to write something that somewhere, somebody will say, that connects to my experience. That inspired me to know God better. That inspired me to keep on going, to have a hope, to realize something, to learn something. So that is my goal as an artist. And I think it should be all of your goals too. Yes, exactly. No, the, you know, the greatest commandment is to love God. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And mm. that applies to the art you make as well as all your human endeavors. Wow. That's a great verse to end on. <laughs> yeah. So when you create art, write that on your wall, love God, love people. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So at that, we will move on to our blesses and curses of the week. Good Lord, I don't think I prepared for this. Yeah, okay, should we pause? <laughs> yeah, let's pause. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to pause. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Yeah. Okay, we're we back. It oh, took yes. us just about 10 minutes to get <laughs> what we liked and what we didn't. We weren't prepared, but we <laughs> yes. have it. We have them. All right, so blessings and curses of the week. What is your bless and curse of this week, okay. Nathan? Going on the theme of self-indulgent art, um, my bless... Wait, what was my bless? Wait, no, wait. Oh, 
Hamilton. Okay, that's right. Hamilton. <laughs> I watched I watched Hamilton this week. Yeah. This is a perfect example, yeah. Hamilton, of someone who did what they want. Yeah. Obvi- and they, they took a story and they and, and totally crashed the musical format, the form. Yep. It just need brand new that they liked. It was obviously very much for him. He enjoyed making this, but at the same time, it was connective. Yep. And it was beautiful. It was communal. It was interesting. It yep. was fun. So I absolutely liked Hamilton so much. I thought it was, and by the way, it's very educational. Too. Oh yeah. Like get your kids to watch this. So accurate to history. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. I learned so much that yeah. I had no idea about and in one of the most entertaining ways I can imagine. Yeah. So Hamilton was amazing. It's on Disney Plus. Please, it's, you know, if you have a subscription, please and go watch it. Why yeah. don't you? It's so cheap. And, and for us in New York, it used to be $1,400 a ticket. So yes, we, exactly. We all jumped. Steal. Yeah. <laughs> we jumped at the $7.99 price tag. Also, also Disney Plus got rid of their free trials just before they put Hamilton on there. Oh, service. really? Yeah. Oh, this is smart. This is so smart. Okay, so my my curse of the week, and I am I'd be one. I'm a little scared to say this because <laughs> I know that in the faith and arts community, uh, there are people sacrosanct. Yes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> who will probably find where I live and you know come at me with a sword. Um, but and I do like this person. the The, the director is Terrence Malick. I mm-hmm. like Terrence Malick. I think he makes beautiful, beautiful um, movies sometimes. Um, and I, I'm a huge fan of Tree of Life, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a, yeah, on a, yeah. a future uh, podcast. There was a movie of his a few years back called To the Wonder, and it seemed like the perfect picture of self-indulgence and something that was created for no one but himself. Maybe it's just cathartic work, but me being expected to like it, especially from my more erudite, uh, <laughs> uh, bougie, uh, intellectually bougie friends, I just didn't. There was nothing about it that seemed connective. It looks like a like as one reviewer said, who I obviously looked up directly after to make sure someone agreed with me. <laughs> he said it looks like a very expensive and well done perfume ad, and it was very pretty. And there, that's about it. So I'm not a huge fan of To the Wonder, but Malik, if you're listening, I will be in any movie you want me to. <laughs> so I just have to say that caveat. Uh, I will be in whatever self indulgent piece you ever want to do. I am there. Okay, we we had this conversation before. Have you finished To the Wonder yet? No. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you can say. Although I have actually on this podcast cursed movies that I didn't finish seeing. Okay, but I, I think still... 30 minutes is a good show. Well, maybe but the five-hour mouth. But, hour I, but, I, but I like. Enough. But I. But I really like To the Wonder. So like, I yes, I even liked it better than Tree of Life. What? Yes. How? <laughs> because it's better. Um. By the way, we'll have this discussion another time. Okay. But no. But yeah. See so if 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 do you agree disagree with us on Terrence Malick uh, to the wonder you know sound off I'm also going to be a bit controversial not for my bless my bless is a movie that came out this year it is my aside from Emma it's my favorite movie that came out this year uh, The Invisible Man that is a movie yes that is a movie that does what you're talking about with Hamilton it's got you know has very personal and honest and real experience of of um, says something that the filmmaker really wants to say but it does it in a horror film that's excellently made that invites mm. us into that story where he has a point he has a message but he invites us into that to I like that in, invites me. yes that's exactly to to enjoy it and to experience it in a way that's cathartic for us but and also exciting and appealing and that's something that's i think it's again if you want to like have say something in a film like it, it, Invisible Man 
is a really great example of how to do it. It is the scariest film I've ever seen. I've seen not every horror film that's there, but like quite a few of them. Wow. And, and it's, it's, so I definitely highly recommend that film. I will say, on the other hand, just to keep with my theme of, of critiquing Paul Thomas Anderson films, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just eliminate all of our Paul Thomas Anderson audience. Well, he cut me out of the scene. Exactly. Um, so so all bits are all off. Exactly. <laughs> so um, is, uh, I'm going to go after probably his most famous and beloved film, there will be blood. Really? Yeah. I, I, wow. I really, We're getting some hate mail exactly, this time. Yes, exactly. It's our edgy episode. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's really funny because I had this experience where there was um, a, 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 an author who was saying like, oh, I've watched this for the first time and I hate it and it's a good example of everything wrong about like men and movies. And I like that was the first time I said, maybe I want to like this now. But um <laughs> it's like I just have to stand up for men. Um but <laughs> but, but but um but no I it's it's a movie that basically forces you to spend you know two and a half hours with people I wouldn't want to spend two minutes with. Okay. <laughs> and you can you can you can justify that if watching the movie makes me a better person. Like, I don't enjoy it, but it makes me a better person. You learn something, you grew. You learn something, you grew as a person. And yet, that did not happen. I did not become a better person while watching it because the thing that they wanted, it wanted to do, that it was doing, was deconstructive and also the main emotion that you got out of it was disgust and pity. And I don't think the emotions, making your emotion towards two of gods in Magyo Dei, um, the strongest mm. emotion that you have in the movie, in the art experience, as disgust and pity, because those those are all looking from on high, looking down emotions, are emotions and states that make you a better person. Mm. And so it wasn't enjoyable, and it didn't make me a better person. So that is my curse <laughs> for the week. Okay, well, <laughs> we're ready to bear the brunt exactly. of whatever. <laughs> all right, so thank you, everyone. And if you want to get in contact with us, Nathan, how can people get in touch with you? You can get in touch with me uh, by visiting any of the socials. Just search my name, Nathan Clarkson, or visit my website at nathanclarkson.me. And you can get in touch with us. You can visit our website at theoverthinkersjournal.com. Uh, write us your mail. Write us your... Love mail. Hate mail. Yeah, all, all of it. Just send it our way. We love getting it. Uh, and guys, I real quick just want to take this uh, second to say... We have just been amazed at the, wow. the group of people who have come alongside this podcast and obviously are interested in the things that we are interested in. And we are so honored that you're here and like we to really listen are. to us pontificate ad nauseum yes. um, about things we like. And it's so good to know that there are people out there who enjoy asking these questions and wrestling with them and conversations. So we just want to thank you so much for listening. Yeah. If you like it, uh, the podcast, please leave a review. That helps us so much and that helps us reach more people who are interested in these things and talking about these subjects and it would be we'd just be so honored if you would we're so honored that you're here already uh, but please get in t contact with us write us an email um love or hate mail at the overthinkersjournal.com and joseph how can people get in touch with you well first i just want to reiterate what you said because like we said here we make this for us but we also make this for you absolutely this is this podcast is our art form we make it for absolutely. you and so we're so grateful that you guys are enjoying it responding to it and yes if you like it share it around so that more people can be invited into this. So how can they get in contact with me? They can get in contact with me on all the socials as well. Normal guy eight on it, uh, on Twitter, um, Holmes um, 5905 on Instagram, Facebook, 
And you also can go to my website, josephholmstudios.com. Well, thank you again very much. And remember, guys, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. <laughs>